When you Google the phrase, made for each other, you'll get, listen to this, 1,200,000,000 results. I've, when I've Googled, Googled lots of things, I've never Googled one that got that kind of results. Check me out later, not now. Check me out later. When you Google made for each other, you'll get 1,220,000,000 results. Apparently, there's a lot of interest in this topic. And that's the title of this new series we're starting, Made for Each Other. You know, here's what I mean by that. There's just the feeling, isn't there, that especially if, if you're, you know, middle school, high school, college, young adult, there's, there's just this feeling that you have that, that there's somebody out there, somewhere, and somehow, someday, you're going to meet them. At one time or another, we've all been on that quest, we've all been on that journey to find our better half or our other half. Now you may be wondering, well, I just want to find one. How do I find them? Uh, and that's going to be next Sunday's message, Lord willing. How do, you, how do you find the right person? How do you marry the right person? That'll be next Sunday. But have you noticed that when ladies, especially at the guys don't usually talk like this, but when ladies will see a, what they call a cute couple, have you noticed that the girls will kind of look at one another and say, they just look like they're just made for each other. And that's kind of what everybody longs for. That's what you hope for. That's what you want. You want to find that person you were made for. Now, I've got to confess to you. I genuinely feel that, that way about my wife, Lisa. We're not just compatible. It's more than that. And we're not just in love. It's deeper than that. I mean, we were made for each other. I hope that's the way you feel about your spouse. But that's the way I feel about Lisa. I mean, I, it, it boggles my mind that I could find somebody, just anybody, who would be a match for me like Lisa is. I mean, she's just such a perfect match. Um, and she puts it up with an awful lot. Um, but, but where does this idea come from? Where do, where do you get the idea that there is somebody else out there? That there somewhere, somehow, someday, someone will show up? Where, where do we get this idea that there's somebody that's the other half? And we're on this pursuit, we're on this journey, looking for the other half. Where does that come from? Believe it or not, it comes straight from Scripture. It comes from the Bible. Especially from a story in Genesis chapter 2. Would you open God's Word with me to Genesis chapter 2? Genesis chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 18. Now what we're going to do, I'm going to read the text, and then I'm just going to walk through the, the text with you, verse by verse, and then I'll make some applications at the very end. So if you're taking notes, we're just going to walk through the text a little bit, not really have an outline as such, and then at the end we're going to hopefully make some applications. Genesis chapter 2, beginning verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be, what's that word? Alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, and, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But, for Adam, no suitable helper was found. 
So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord made, or then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Key verse, verse 24, this is the verse we're building towards. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now when you read in verse 18 through 25, uh, you'll come across something that you don't see anywhere else in the Bible if you start in Genesis 1 and start reading through the Bible. For the first time in the Bible, in, in verses 18 through 25, God said for the first time that there was something that was not good. Now, four times prior to this, God expressed his approval at what he had done. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 12, verse 18, verse 21, and verse 31, God looked at what he had done in creation and expressed his approval four times. But in chapter 2, verse 18, for the first time in the Bible, God looked at what he had done and something was not good. Adam was complete, yet he was incomplete. Even though God had prepared a perfect environment for Adam and for for his happiness, something was missing. Someone was missing. And this is where it gets really interesting. It was not Adam who discovered this incompleteness. It, It was not Adam who mentioned this incompleteness. I mean, it's not like Adam one day said, God, um... You know, I was noticing when I was out there naming the elef- elephants that there's, there's two of them. And I, w- I noticed when I named the giraffes, there's two of them. And I noticed when I named the rabbits, there's a whole bunch of them. <laughs> and I'm just wondering, why is there only one of me? Now, that's kind of the way you would expect the story to go. But it was not Adam who noticed he was alone. It was God. And that is significant. Before Adam was even aware of his incompleteness, God anticipated his need. And God planned for it. So pastor, do you you have to be married to be complete? Well, that's another message in the series. I hope you'll come back. But the the short answer is no. No, you don't. But in this situation, for the first man and the first woman, here's what I want you to understand. Adam's wife was in the mind of God long before she was ever in the arms of Adam. It came from the heart of God. Marriage was ordained by God. It's the whole idea originated with Him. Uh, He knows our hearts. He knows our needs. He knows every one of us. And He has a plan to meet that need. And that's what He did for Adam. God foresaw the need in Adam's life. And He met that need by giving him Eve. Now I want you to read verse 18. I want you to look for three crucial words as we look at verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a a helper, notice this next three words, suitable for him. Underline that in your Bibles, suitable for him. 
The, the word suitable has the idea, I'm going to make his counterpart. I'm, I'm going to make the other half. I'm going to make something that is suitable for him. I'm going to make him a perfect match. I mean, watch this. Listen, listen, listen. It was like they were made for each other. And they were. They were made for each other. And God had an interesting way of convincing Adam that he needed a woman. Now guys, I know that you find that hard to believe, but God had an interesting way of convincing him that he needed a woman in his life. You know what the, what, how he did that? God brought all the animals that he had made, and he let Adam name them. And as they passed by, from the aardvark to the zebra, Adam was to study each one and give them each a name. And let's read what happened. Verse 20. Look at verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the fields. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. In other words, here's what happened. God said, okay, I got an assignment for you. I'm going to bring all these animals by, and, and you name them. And that is a fascinating thing to me, and I've, I've, I don't want to get off on that, but it's a fascinating thing. How did he call it an elephant? Where did he come up with the name elephant? You know why he called it an elephant? It looked like an elephant. What else would you call it? So he named all the animals. And, and as he named all the animals, and when he got done, he got to the zebra. Z, zebra. Got it. Named them all. And then he looked around. The zebra had another zebra. Elephant had another elephant. Giraffe had another giraffe. He didn't have anybody. No suitable helper was found. Now, listen. How many of you have a pet? Raise your hand. How many would like one if, if I were to give you one? We, how, how many, let, me, let me phrase it this way. How many have a pet that you love? Raise your hand. Now, see, that's just weird. You love an animal. It's not a person. This is an animal. Now, I'm, I'm just being facetious. I understand. You, you, that, that's my whole point. You can develop a relationship, can't you, with an animal. We, we, you know by now we've got a demon dog named Ginger. <laughs> and there's two people in our family that love Ginger. Lisa and Lauren. The rest of us, we won't get into that. But now, Lisa and Lauren have a wonderful relationship with Ginger. Ginger has trained us very well. We know exactly, or Lisa knows exactly, just by the tone of her grunt or the tone of her whine, what she wants at this particular moment. They've developed this great relationship. Now, Ginger and I go ride, she'll go ride in the truck with me sometimes. You, you can have a relationship on a certain level with your pet, with your animal, but listen, you can only relate to her as a dog because that's, that's, that's as much as she can understand. Right? I, I can't set her down and say, Ginger, I need to talk to you, honey. Can, can, can you help me walk through this? We need to figure this out. <laughs> can't do that. I can only talk to her on the level of a dog. And she can only understand on the level of a dog. Adam needed somebody besides the zebra. And so we read in verse 21. 
So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. By the way, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that's where the guy who invented anesthesia got the idea. He was reading his Bible one day. And he noticed that God caused him to go to sleep when he took the, the rib out. Just, that's just extra. I won't charge you for that one. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Now, answer the question for you. Again, we're just building towards verse 29 or verse 24. Answer the question for me. Where, what part of the body did, did God remove? The rib. Look, everybody look up here. The rib. Matthew Henry put it this way. The great scholar said, She was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, and under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. Now, I noticed something as I was studying this text this week that I've never seen before. After God created Eve. Now remember, God created Eve. God kind of said, this is Shorter's translation. God said, I'll be right back. He got the rib, I'll be right back. And he created Eve. What I had never noticed before is what I read in, in verse 22. It says in verse 22 that after God created Eve, he gave Eve away. He brought her to Adam. He, if I could put it in current day terminology, he walked Eve down the aisle for this first marriage. Look, it's right there in verse 22. Look what it says. I'd never seen this before. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And notice this. And he brought her to the man. God brought her to the man. And when Adam saw what God had created and he looked at Eve in all of her natural beauty, he said, Whoa, man! And that's how we got the name, woman. <laughs> it was something like that. Actually, here's the way it went. Verse 23. The man said when he saw Eve, when he saw Eve, God bringing Eve to him, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man, woman. For she was taken out of man. I, I don't know if you've ever heard Dr. Fred Luter. Dr. Fred Luter is an African-American pastor in New Orleans, Franklin Avenue Baptist Church, also the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He had a unique way of introducing his wife at any conference where his wife was attending, and I've heard him do it many times. Any conference where his wife was attending, he'd say, I'd like to ask my lovely bride to stand, and as only Dr. Fred could do it, he'd say, I, he, re, he would refer to her this way, he would introduce her every time this way, he said that she is the love of my life, the apple of my eye, my prime rib. <laughs> and my good thing. Guys, I hope you can refer to your, your wife that way. That she is the love of your life, she's the apple of your eye, she's your prime rib. And your good thing. Verse 24, we come finally to the key verse. Verse 24 in fact, if you have the NIV translation, would you read this verse out loud with me? Verse 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become 
one flesh. Now, before I get off studying this one verse, let me just make one statement that I feel like I need to make. No matter what the courts declare, or what society may permit, God's plan is and always has been one man married to one woman to become one flesh for a lifetime. But now I want you to look at verse 24. And there's two words there that are significant that I want us to deal with. It says, And they, the two of them, Adam and Eve, they, the two of them, will become one flesh. God said that marriage results in a oneness. Two becoming one. Now, I wish I could fully explain that to you. I wish I could fully expound upon all of that. But I do know this. This verse was so important and so unique and so powerful that one day Jesus himself quoted this verse. In fact, he did it on two different occasions. There was one time, for example, in Matthew 19.5. Go ahead and put something there in Genesis 2. We'll be back there and go to Matthew 19.5. There was a day in, in Matthew 19.5 when some people came asking Jesus about marriage and about divorce. And it's interesting how Jesus responded to this question about marriage and divorce. Here's what he said, Matthew 19. um, Let's start at verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Verse 4. Haven't you read, he replied, this is Jesus speaking. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning... The Creator made them male and female and said, and here he quotes Genesis, and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Haven't you read that? Jesus was like, come on guys, you've read the Bible, you've read Genesis. Don't you remember what it says in the very first book in the Bible? You want to know about marriage and divorce, but good night. Let's just go to the first book of the Bible. Let's go to the first chapters of the Bible. Haven't you read that? Haven't you read that the Creator brought the two together and they become one flesh? And then in verse 6, he adds something. In addition to what he quoted from Genesis in verse 6, he says, So they are no longer two, but one. That's additional information that's not in Genesis. Additional commentary. So they are no longer two, but one. There is a, Jesus said there is a oneness that occurs when a, one, when a man and a woman marry. What does that oneness mean? What does that oneness look like? Well, it's kind of like these scissors. You don't usually think of them as two. You usually think of them as one. But how do we refer to this? We, uh, what is this? This is Somebody tell me, what is this? This is what? A pair of scissors. We understand that it's two, but it's really one. It's a pair of scissors. It's two, but we think of them as one. Now, there was a time when this pair of scissors was one. 
There was a time when they were separate. They were not always, they've not always been together. There was a time when they were separate. And then there was, they had their own separate lives. You know, notice their shape different. There were a time when, when these two were not united. But there was a special day. There was a special day in China. <laughs> when, when these two became united. And once they became united, they became one. It's almost, I mean, if you, if you do that, it's almost as if they were made for each other. Just like they were made for each other. Could it be that there was a designer? Could it be that there was a designer that took the two and made them for each other? made one and what would the benefit be of saying I'm going to unwind the one I'm going to ununite how effective would they be then as two again Jesus said in verse 6 the second half of verse 6 therefore What God has joined together, let man not separate. And we're about to get real personal, and I understand that. What God has joined together, when God took the two and made one, Jesus said, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Now, there's something there in those words that I need to make sure you get. You see, you thought the justice of the peace was the guy who married you. You thought Reverend so-and-so was the one who tied the knot. They were just standing in for God. They Listen, I don't know how many people I've married over the years, but, but I think it's been hundreds. And for a long time, for 19 years now, I've stood just about at this spot right here. And I've got to see what you never get to see. I've got to see the faces of this beautiful bride and this handsome groom and, and the faces that are just lit up. All you see is the back of their head. I get to see their faces as they become one. And there's that special moment when I look into their faces. And right, right here's one I did not too long ago, right back here. And they're, they're just, aren't they just made for each other? <laughs> and, and they were standing right here in front of me. And I said something like this from this day forward. I now pronounce you husband and wife. Listen, I can't unite anybody. God does that. I'm just a spokesman. And that's why it says in verse 6, Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Now, so what does that mean for you and your marriage? Go back to Genesis 2 now. Genesis 
Genesis 2.24. Read it one more time now. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Three words should mark your relationship with your spouse. And those three words describe this oneness that occurs when God brings the two together into one. Let me give you those three words real quickly. I don't have a lot of time to talk about them, but I want you to have them. And I want you to examine your own marriage based on these three words. Here's the first one. Severance. Severance. It says a man will leave his father and mother. Now, I... I will never forget, I don't want to embarrass him, I will never forget when I counseled my daughter and my son-in-law premarital counseling. And you can ask him if I said this. You need to know, first of all, that I, this is my baby girl. And I love my baby girl. We're very close. And in my office, in premarital counseling, I looked at her and I said, you know what that verse means? And probably with tears in my eyes, I said, that verse means that he becomes more special to you than I do. That he becomes more important to you than I am. That you never put me above him. He becomes your ultimate priority in your life. You see, there has to be a severance there has to be a cutting of the cord. And when Kelly was born, when Kelly was born, the doctor turned to me. I didn't know he was going to do this. The doctor turned to me and with a pair of scissors said, would you like to cut the cord? Absolutely. Let me. <laughs> I did that with all three of my kids. I never got one discount for doing his work. But just as surely as there was this physical severance between the baby and their mother, there also has to be that same severance in your marriage. And one of the reasons people have marriage problems is because they never cut the cord with daddy or they never cut the cord with their mother. Mom is still meddling. Mom is still trying to take care of her little boy. Mom is still trying to make sure that... that the, the, the wife does what mom wants him to do. There has to be a severance. Here's the second word. I don't have time to dig into that much. The second word is permanence. Permanence. It says, you will leave father and mother and be united to his wife. You know what that word permanent means? Permanence implies it's, it's not going to be so long as we both shall love, but rather so long as we both shall live. Permanence. Because this is not something that man has brought together. This is something God has brought together. And what God has brought together, let no man pull apart. The third word is intimacy. Intimacy. They will become, the Bible says, one flesh. And you have a unique relationship you don't have with anyone else on the planet. And everyone else that I counsel... I always tell them this. I did it for, for Emily and for Eric and for everybody else I've done in premarital counseling. I said, you know what that verse means? That verse means there should never, ever, ever be anybody closer to you than your spouse. 
You should never get closer to anybody physically than you do to your spouse. You should never get closer to anybody emotionally than you do your spouse. That your spouse becomes your number one priority because there is a oneness there you do not have with anybody else. Intimacy. It's an intimate relationship that you don't have with anybody else on the planet. Now, here's the reason I told you those three words. Listen carefully. In 29 years of pastoring, here's what I've discovered. Most marriage problems, are you listening? Most marriage problems are the result of a breakdown in one of those three areas. It doesn't matter what the problem is. Uh, the, the problem might be that uh, there's financial struggles and you're arguing about finances all the time. The, the problem might be uh, sexual in nature. The, the, the problem might be that, that he or she had an affair. The, the, the problem might be that uh, uh, you can't trust that he or she is lying. It doesn't matter what the problem is, if you really boil it down, it usually follows in one of these three categories. There's a breakdown somewhere in one of these three areas. There's, there's not the oneness there needs to be. So my question for you is this. When you think about your own marriage, do, do, you, do you feel the oneness there? Sometimes people will say, you know, you know why we got a divorce? We got a divorce because we drifted apart. You know what that says to me? We did not guard the oneness. We did not treasure the oneness. We did not maintain the oneness. Oneness requires three things. I want to give it to you real quick. Oneness, first of all, requires selflessness. Selflessness. Without oneness, we look only at ourselves and we become very selfish. I've seen so many marriages have problems and some end in, in, end in divorce because people are just stinking selfish. They want their way. They want what's best for them. They're not thinking about the oneness. They're not thinking about what's best for the marriage. They're thinking about what's best for them. You need to think in terms of the oneness. Oneness requires selflessness. What's best for our marriage? Number two, oneness requires forgiveness. Because I can tell you this. You might think they're perfect on the wedding day. You will soon find out they're not. You are married to an imperfect person. Right? Right? Everybody except Lisa. Right? You're married to an imperfect person. And here's what happens when we're married to an imperfect person. We get upset with them and we start keeping track and we start keeping score. But when our goal is oneness, we'll be quick to forgive. Number three, oneness also requires love and respect. I'll give you this briefly. It may be a sermon later on. But uh, here's the thing that every man wants. Every, and it's not what you think it is. Every man wants respect. Every man needs respect. The, the, the base need of every man is we want to be respected. Every woman wants and needs love. They want to feel love. That's their base need. They want to feel loved. And here's what happens. When the man is not respected like he should be, then he won't love the woman like he should. When she doesn't feel loved like she should, she won't respect him like she should. And it is what one author calls a crazy cycle. 
There's not a oneness. You need to work on love and respect. So here's my assignment for you as we close today. My assignment for you is this. This week, begin to ask yourself, is there a oneness still in our relationship? Are we just kind of living under the same roof? Are we going our separate ways and we rarely see each other? Or is there a oneness? Is there an intimacy in our relationship? A physical intimacy? Is there an emotional intimacy? Is there a spiritual intimacy? Is there a oneness? And if not, what do you need to do this week to improve the oneness in your relationship? Don't think about her or him and how bad they are. Think about what her or him may need from you. And how can we work on the oneness of the relationship. Then you might need to get in the Word. Read what Jesus said. What God has put together, let no man separate. And don't go running to a lawyer. Go running to Jesus. Go running to Jesus. Let me pray for you. Our Father... We recognize that indeed you are the God of all creation and you have created us and you know our names but you also know our needs. And then I pray God for any marriages in this auditorium today, any husband, any wife, I pray Father that if anyone is here and they're struggling in this area that by your word you would give them counsel and by your word you would give them direction and by your word you would give them the faith to work on the oneness that you created. I pray that we would have the faith to obey you and the desire to obey you. And I ask that in Christ's name.